Well, we've come to the fourth in this listing of the descriptive terms of the fruit of the Spirit, and it is forbearance. That's at least the way the New International Version translates it. King James doesn't help us out a lot more. It translated long-suffering, which makes it kind of sound like you've been suffering for a long time with a very painful disease. The message describes it in a phrase, willingness to stick with things. And most translations simply use the word patience. So why so many different words to describe this? It's because For all the words that we translate patience in our English translations, there are more than one word in the Greek that can be translated such. And the word that we have here in Galatians 5.22 is not the dominant word for patience. As a matter of fact, it is a combination word, a word that's made up of two Greek words put together to create another word, and the two words are these, slow and anger. Patience, then, is handling anger slowly. It is not losing your temper quickly. And you're thinking, ugh, why did Paul have to put this one in the list? Up to this point in time, the Spirit's orchard has produced some pretty good things. Love, joy, peace. Who doesn't want all of this? But patience, this is the gooseberry of the Spirit's orchard. Patience. I'm not particularly enamored with it either. I understand how you feel. I'm not very good with patience. And I know that the Lord doesn't just give us patience. He teaches us patience. And I don't like the lessons or the tests, either one. It's because they happen regularly. Have you noticed how many just ordinary, routine, daily kinds of things require patience? When I was a kid... I never did think that the hand-cranked homemade ice cream was ever going to be done. It just ruined the the whole concept of patience. How about waiting in the express line at the grocery store behind somebody whose cart has way more in it than what the express line requires as the limitation? Patience. I think it takes patience to light a charcoal grill. You know, those are not easy to light. I read about a guy 50 years old who tried to use a little bit of gunpowder as a quick way to light his charcoal. (laughs) He had his meal in the hospital that night. I think watching baseball on TV requires patience. It's a long game. Uh, It's different if you're there live, but on TV, it just just takes a lot of patience. A, a, A detour on the way to work when you're close on time requires a lot of patience and hard. Fishing requires patience, especially when the fish aren't biting. Busy waiting rooms in doctor's offices. Maybe that's why the doctors call us patients. (laughs) Talking about patience always brings up frustrating images, doesn't it? Uh, You you don't talk about patience being required in something pleasant. It's always required in something that's frustrating. But don't don't, don't tune this one out. There is a reason why it is number four on the list. You see, where love, joy, and peace are lacking, patience will be in short supply. And a lack of patience will undermine every other aspect of the Spirit's productivity in our lives. So let me ask you again, how does your garden grow when it comes to patience? Now, since anger comprises one half of the word patience, we need to understand how these two fit together. First of all, such patience is a characteristic of God. Now, you need to understand that, that what God is asking of us here is a part of his very nature. 
I want you to picture Moses on the top of Mount Sinai for the second time. This is after he has thrown down the tablets at the bottom and they have shattered, symbolizing the fact that the Israelites had already broken the commands of God. He has gone now back up on the mountain and he's standing there with the two tablets that he chiseled out of the stone and and God comes to be with him. And, And this is in Exodus 34, verses five and six. It says, then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Did you catch it? In God's reintroduction to Moses, in God describing himself in just a few words, notice one of the descriptions he chose. I'm patient. I'm slow to anger. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, we read this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you and not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God's anger will someday bring about judgment. But God is slow to get angry. God is patient because he wants to, he wants to hold that off as long as he can so as many people as possible will come to Christ and find salvation in him. When we look at the character of God, we see love, we see light, but we also see slow to anger. What a marvelous picture of our Father. No wonder James writes to us in his epistle, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Patience. Uncontrolled anger, then, is the antithesis of patience. The reason we don't find the word much in in classical Greek is because this was not seen as a virtue. Aristotle defined the great virtue of his day as the refusal of anybody to tolerate injury or insult. In other words, if you're a strong man in the Greek culture, then you'll be able to take revenge. Here comes the scriptures, and in the Christian community, it's just the opposite. The strong person is the person who has the opportunity to seek revenge, but is instead slow to anger, is patient quite a countercultural picture. Now, can you identify the areas where you struggle with patience? Do you know where your anger sometimes overrides your patience? You're on a four-lane interstate highway, and the traffic is stopped for miles, and it just inches along. Do you lose your patience in a case like that? Mac McCleary wrote, he said, patience is something you admire in the driver behind you and scorn in the one ahead of you. It's true. How about you've worked really hard at your job and promotions are up and then suddenly somebody who was hired after you with less experience and younger than you are, less education gets promoted past you and you don't get the promotion. You find it hard to be patient then? You've worked so hard and it doesn't doesn't bring what you thought it would bring. Sure, it's hard to be patient. Parenting. From the first cries of a newborn baby, parenting demands great patience. It's worth every price that you pay. I can't think of anything more rewarding in this life than parenting, but it requires patience from day one. How about injustice? When something's not fair, does your anger just rise to the surface and you're going to take control of that? Maybe even without knowing all the facts or seeing all the details or knowing all the things that are behind the scenes, we react with frustration at injustice when we should be patient to learn the whole story before we react. How about marriage? (laughs) 
If you're married, you know it takes patience. Even in the best of marriages, patience is required. A couple was counseling with their pastor, and the wife said, we're having a conflict over religious differences. To which the pastor said, well, can you elaborate on that a little bit? She said, sure, my husband thinks he's God and I don't. (laughs) Even the best marriages require patience with one another. And despite the fact that we know that, deep down inside, we know that patience is important. In an AP survey recently on impatience, it was revealed that women lose their patience after waiting in line about 18 minutes. Men lose their patience in line after 15 minutes. And when we are on the phone, we lose our patience even quicker than that. People with lower income and less education are more patient than those with college education and higher income. And people who live in the suburbs are more patient than those who live in the city. Basically, it doesn't matter who you are, where you live, what's your income, what's your education, all of us are lacking when it comes to patience. We are more in tune with impatience and snap judgments and fiery tempers than we are with this beautiful quality of God, slow. To anger. I like this Chinese proverb. If you are patient in one moment of anger, you will escape a hundred days of sorrow. Biblical principles abound in the scriptures over how to deal with patience. We don't have time for a lot of them, but I, I just want to give you a couple, three here this morning to give you something to chew on this week as you deal with moments that may test your patience. Here's the first thing. At times, just remember that impatience robs us of God's blessing. At times, impatience robs us of what God wants to do for you, do in you, do through you, or give to you. You've heard the old expression, good things come to those who wait. I believe that's especially true of those who wait on God. Good things come to those who wait on the Lord. Now, several years ago, psychologists at Stanford University conducted a study that was known as the marshmallow test. And uh, what what happened was that four-year-olds were given a marshmallow and told that they could eat that one, or if they would wait for a few minutes, they would get a second one and they would have two to eat. Dr. David Walsh recently conducted a similar exercise, and I, I just want you to see a clip about how he was interacting with the kids and the marshmallows. In the original study that was done, they re-interviewed the same kids who had been tested at age four when they turned 18, and the results were startling. Of the kids that waited, that got, ended up getting two marshmallows over those who didn't wait and just got the one, the kids who waited scored on average 250 points higher on their SATs. Those who demonstrated patience were self-reliant, confident, cooperative, and worked well under pressure. Those who showed little patience, those who ate the marshmallow right away, at 18 were moody, indecisive, prone to jealousy and envy, and here's the one to note, overreacted to frustration with anger. There's that anger issue again, that counterproductive opposite of patience. You see, patience is not just something that 
God wants us to, to do that's hard to do. It is a quality that builds other virtues in our life. It is a foundation block to being able to be the best that we can. If you can't be patient, you're going to struggle and suffer in other areas of your life. Dr. Walsh concluded that our instant culture undermines the values of patience. And he noted that while we get short-term relief in immediate gratification, we pay a long-term price for it. I'm convinced that our impatient nature robs us of the blessings that God wants to give us. Sometimes God wants to work through us or work in us, and we mess that all up because we are impatient. Let me give you a couple biblical examples. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, we read about King Saul, who was the first king over the Israelite nation. He's going up against the Philistines in battle. And the Philistine army is gathering over here on the hillside. And the Bible describes them as as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And the army of Israel at that point in time was overwhelmed and outnumbered so much so that the soldiers under Saul's command were getting nervous and starting to go AWOL. Now Samuel, the prophet, had told Saul, wait seven days before the battle and I will come and offer the sacrifice and seek God's blessing in the battle. Seven days come and Samuel isn't there just exactly when Saul thought he should be. And Saul said, I'm not waiting any longer. Give me the sacrifice. And Saul made the sacrifice, something he had no right to do. And just as he's cleaning up after the sacrifice, here comes Samuel. And Samuel says, what in the world have you done? And Saul says, I, I just didn't think you were coming. And so I took matters into my own hands. And this is what Samuel says in verse 13. You acted foolishly. Samuel said, you have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Consequently, the kingdom was taken away from Saul and his descendants and was given to a young man by the name of David and his descendants. Saul had the opportunity to establish a, a royal line forever and messed it up. All because he was impatient. Abraham knew that God had promised him a son. And God did give Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age. But because Abraham was impatient with God, he also fathered a son through Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, a young man by the name of Ishmael, whose descendants are still fighting against the descendants of Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, 4,000 years later, which is why the Middle East is always in such turmoil. If Abraham had been patient and waited on God, that wouldn't be the case today. I want you to know, don't be impatient because your impatience will rob you of God's blessings and what God wants to do in your life. Okay, here's something else I want you to know. Patience isn't a cure-all. At times, patience isn't enough for everything you want, okay? Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I want answers. I like to take things apart to see how they work. I like to learn the decision or the reasons behind the decisions that are made. I, I like to find solutions to problems. I want answers. We've done a pretty good job of convincing ourselves, I think, that if we're patient enough with God, we'll get all the answers to our questions. We'll understand why we went through this difficult time, and we'll understand why there's suffering in this world, and we'll understand why I feel so much sorrow at times in my life. We think if we get far enough, if we're patient enough, God will give us those answers. But I'm here to tell you, sometimes patience isn't enough. Consider the story of Job. Now, I like Job. He's described as a, 
as the greatest man, a man among the people of the East. He's described as blameless and upright. He's a good man, the kind of guy you'd like to have as a friend or a neighbor. And then suddenly the landscape of, of Job's life changes dramatically, and he loses everything. All of his wealth, all ten of his kids, gone like that in the snap of a fingers, and he is left destitute. And then the second wave of affliction hits him, and that takes away his health. It is so devastating that his wife says, Job, just curse God and die. Obviously, she had never read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But we dare not be too critical of her. And the reason is, those were her kids too. That was her wealth too. She lost everything when Job lost everything. And what's more, now she has become the caretaker of this disease-ridden man who's probably going to die, and when he dies, she'll be left all alone in this world with nothing. You and I probably wouldn't have responded much differently. Job, why, why fight it? Just curse God and die. But Job responded to her with these words. He said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And the Bible says in all of this, Job did not sin. Such patience. Here then is the real question of the book of Job. Can an individual be patient enough to hold on to God in the face of suffering? Can his patience outlast his anger and his indignation? And the answer to that is yes. Job proved that it could be so. But the book of Job also proves that we don't get all the answers. Between chapters 3 and 37, Job unleashes his concern. As a matter of fact, he's got friends that show up there. And we meet uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite, Dadgum, the Termite. Oh, oh that, that's a different story. I'm sorry, um, that last one. They come, and, and when they see Job, they are so overwhelmed at what they see in this man's life that they just sit down with him. For seven days, they don't say a word. They just sit there and, and, and mourn with him over sadness. Now, there's something really important to learn there. That kind of patience is marvelous. I talk to people a lot who say, I don't want to go to see somebody at the hospital. I'm not good with hospitals. Or I don't want to go to the funeral home and pay my respects. What, what do I say? I don't know what to say. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. Sometimes you just go and you put an arm around the shoulder, you share a tear, you, you, you share a hug, you just stand there with the person, hold their hand, because your being there says more than the words. I think the friends of Job were marvelous at this point. They come and they sit and they stay and they don't say anything because there really isn't much to say, but they're there with him. And finally, Job speaks and he curses the day of his birth. And then he adds, he says, may those who curse days curse that one. Now, I don't know who they is. Uh, I, I don't know who this group of people are that they must, it must be a small occupation, day cursers. I don't know, but, but Job says, may those who curse days curse this one. Then for the next 35 chapters, Job pours out his bitterness, confusion, sorrow, and frustration to God, and his friends try to console him with the standard theology of the day. They basically say things like this, you must have done something really awful, Job, that God would do this to you. You brought this on yourself, Job. You're just going to have to sit down and figure out what horrible, wretched sin you committed that, that deserved this. Man, Job, God isn't smiling on you today. Sound familiar? What did I do to deserve this? 
How could God let this happen to me? I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm better than old so-and-so over there, and he's not going through what I'm going through. Why does God hate me so much? I want you to know that that was lousy theology in Job's day, and it's lousy theology in our day. That's not how God operates. And then in chapter 38, God answers. Verse 38, chapter, or chapter 38, verse 1 says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. The questions ultimately relate to God's goodness and God's creative genius. And basically, when you go through this whole list of God's dialogue with Job, you see how much God has done for our lives and how many blessings that we have. And you get to the end, and God restores everything to Job twice as much. He lost children, now he has twice as many children. And God restores to him his wealth, and then that again. Everything is doubled, but God never answered his question. Job lived the rest of his life in this world never understanding what he went through and why. Some things people will have to wait. It is a matter of trusting God when you cannot see. It is a matter of being confident in God when you cannot understand. It is not a matter of being patient enough to get the answers. It's being patient enough to say, God, I trust you and I don't need the answers now. God's got answers for our questions. We may just have to wait until heaven, and that's okay. You just keep patiently trusting right now. And then here's the last thing I want you to see. At times, at all times, patience reflects our gracious God. In our culture of instant gratification, fast food meals, and immediate information via the internet, it's hard to be patient. As a matter of fact, I don't think some people even try anymore. But I would suggest to you that in our impatient culture, somebody who can show the patience of God stands out like a light and a beacon. We don't see patience demonstrated very often. As a Christian, what are you like when you find yourself in a slow-moving checkout line or stuck in traffic that's inching along? I have to admit, I'm not very good. I fidget. I stew because like you, I've got places to go and things to do. And if we aren't careful, we'll let that stewing and frustration just churn us up to the point that when we finally do get up to the clerk at the end of the checkout counter, there's a scowl on our face and there's a rude tone in our voice because we've had to wait all that time, which is not his or her fault. But when you look like that and when you sound like that at the end of the checkout line, who's going to see Christ in you at that moment? Anybody? No, you're just another one of the world. I'm just another one of the world. But when you can step up after an exhausting wait in the checkout line and she says, I'm so sorry, and you say, that's okay. There are days like that. Busy for you too. Suddenly, the character of Christ begins to shine in your life. Next time you go through an airport check, security check, smile at the security officers and thank them for doing a good job of trying to keep you safe on the flight. I'm telling you, their face will light up because they don't get that very often. Because you see, the run-of-the-mill people that come through those lines are angry, bitter, frustrated, and impatient. And I will tell you that when you can let the love of Christ shine out like that, it will be noticed, not for your sake, but for the sake of Christ. 
When you're struggling in those moments of impatience, consider these simple, simple but helpful ideas. Number one, before you stress out, just stop and take a few deep breaths, all right? Just back it up, stop, and just take a few deep breaths and get a, get a handle on it. Number two, rate what, what you're going through on a scale of one to 10, okay? Most issues that require our patience never get to a level of 10, so reserve your frustration only for those that get to 10. If they're below 10, don't worry about it. Number three, keep smiling. You may not feel like smiling, but smile anyway. Even if it doesn't make you feel better, it'll make you look better. <laughs> and really, smiling does make you feel better. Number four, use that time delay to plan your day or your evening. Read a book or something like that. And five, best of all, best of all, take that delay, those moments, and, and, and pray. I mean, if you're stuck in traffic on the freeway and you're not moving anywhere, just sit there. You're in a quiet place. You're in your car, nothing else going on. Just pray for a few minutes. Or if you've got your Bible with you, or if you've got an electronic uh, Bible uh, on one of your uh, phones or, or, or similar kinds of uh, applications, read your Bible. Work on memorizing Galatians 5.22, all right? Because you see, it's really hard to be angry when you've been praying are reading God's Word. It is an opportunity for you to make the most of that. What else can you do anyway? So make it positive. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, be patient with each other, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. I've got faults. I've got a lot of faults. And if I want people to be patient with me, I've got to learn to be patient with them. You might be surprised sometimes where you'll see a reflection of God's character. When you see a seasoned worker who could do the job with his eyes shut, but he patiently works with the new kid on the line until he gets it right and smiles and encourages and pats him on the back, then you've caught a glimpse of God's reflection. When you see a young mother past the point of exhaustion but continue to patiently care for a fussy baby, you've just caught a glimpse of God's reflection. When you see an aging husband journey to the convalescent home day after day to patiently sit with his wife who no longer knows who he is, you catch a glimpse of God's reflection. In the closing months of my father-in-law's life, this rugged farmer in Illinois who had done so many things and could do and fix so many things, I saw the ailments that afflicted him destroy his body and begin to take away his mind. And what I saw that as he grew physically weaker, his character grew stronger. I noticed this incredible, gentle patience in him with everyone and everything. As I watched him die, he taught me how to live. Patience is a way to live every day of our lives. Andres Segovia wrote, a man without patience is a lamp without oil. Success in marriage or parenting or working with others. In short, success in life only comes through demonstrating great patience. You see, it's not just something to do. It is a foundation building block for all the other virtues in our life. We serve a God who is slow to anger. We should be the same. So keep your lamp full of oil and let it burn brightly so people will see Christ in you. I am told that during the filming of Ben-Hur, Charlton Heston had trouble learning to drive a chariot. After much patience and practice, he was finally able to control the vehicle, but he still had some doubts, and he talked to the director of the film, and he said, I, I think I can drive the chariot. I'm not sure I can win the race. 
the director looked him in the eye and said, you just stay in the race. I'll make sure that you win. Isn't that what God's telling us right now? Be patient, Christian. You just stay in the race. I'll make sure you win. Such is the God who has waited and waited and waited for as many as possible to come home to Christ. If you need him this morning as your Savior, while we stand and sing, you come.